0: We've been doing a series on having an all-in faith. And really, I've asked myself three questions with respect to that. Firstly, what's a person like who has an all-in faith? Secondly, am I like that? And thirdly, how can I become more Christ-like in what I believe and say and do? And Jesus basically addresses these questions and many more in his first recorded sermon, which was the Sermon on the Mount. And we find uh, that series in the beginning of the book of Matthew. And he tells his disciples what kind of people will be blessed by God. Hands up all those people who don't want to be blessed by God. Now, I didn't think I'd see a hand. Uh, Basically, everyone wants to be blessed by God, but the reality is people that God blesses are people thinking and acting in a certain way. Uh, Last week, I was talking to a friend whose husband, who was younger than me, died suddenly about six and a half years ago. And I said, Sue, how are you getting on? And she said, okay, Uh, I really miss him, but I've had fantastic support and I've been blessed and uh, really well taken care of in the situation. And and that conversation uh, led me right into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. As you know, we, we like to talk about victory, we like to talk about overcoming, Uh, we like to talk about winning the war over situations and circumstances, but the reality is you can't have victory unless there is a problem that you need to be victorious over. You can't be an overcomer unless there is something to overcome, and uh, we need to talk about the whole gospel from beginning to end and Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 talks about one of those difficult situations and Jesus said blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted I mean how can that be How, how can you be blessed when you mourn and Jesus is not saying how happy and fortunate you will be when tragedy strikes you he's When tragedy comes, it hurts. When tragedy comes, we don't party, uh, we grieve. Uh, We're not unfeeling robots. Uh, We've been created in our Heavenly Father's image with emotions just as Jesus had emotions. Just as the Father and the Holy Spirit have emotions, so, so do we. We're not supposed to be emotionally sterile to display a stiff upper lip in times of our adversity. I mean, a lot of us have got an English heritage, and one of the things that uh, the English are known for is that stiff upper lip. Well, hey, we're not created to hold everything inside. The most dangerous emotions are those that are bottled up and not released, but we're not to be controlled by our emotions. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to ask for help. That's the way we're made. Jesus is not saying when tragedy strikes, happy, happy, joy, joy. He's not saying that everyone who grieves will be comforted. There are people out there who don't know how to respond to loss. There are people out there that have never experienced comfort in time of need. Often, that slows the healing process down. Jesus here is talking about kingdom values for kingdom people. Uh, We are not blessed because of tragedy. We are not blessed because we mourn, but we are blessed because we are comforted when we mourn. And this raises a number of issues that I really want to talk about this morning. And uh, first of all, is the fact that we can't avoid problems. Uh, When you come to Jesus Christ, it doesn't insulate you from every problem that's going around. Uh, We are never told in either the Old Testament or the New Testament that if we live a good life, that we will never have problems or face any tragedy. In fact, quite the opposite is true. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, In the last days, difficult times will come. Okay, we've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years, so why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that difficult times will come? We are living, people, in a world that is falling apart. And I know in New Zealand we are immune to a lot of these, these things. And um, I was talking, actually I was playing golf with a South African surgeon about five years ago and um, his property backed on to the Sherwood Golf Club. And I said, so, you know, how long have you been in New Zealand and why did you come out? And he said, well, he said, "Uh, I I came out to New Zealand because I don't have to have bars on my house uh, and a security setup uh, that we have in South Africa. He said, I came out to New Zealand because I don't have to have flamethrowers on my um, SUV to stop people from attacking me and killing me when I'm stopped at the lights. And I thought, wow, that's serious situation and circumstances. And some of you I know here, you know those situations. You know how difficult it is in those places. In New Zealand, we tend to be insulated from a lot of those things. However, we're living in a world that is basically falling apart. A world that has a limited lifespan. So problems arise. Problems arise because uh, of the situation of our world in general. Sometimes problems arise because we're just reaping what we sow. Sometimes problems arise because you reap what somebody else had sown in a situation. But James tells us that God will use trials and testings... To develop our character and our maturity. In fact, I hate that verse in James. It says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you have problems and trials. But it goes on to tell us that we can't be mature unless we actually have things that help us to grow. Our faith is primarily tested through trials. I've noticed that troubles drive some people closer to God and troubles drive some people further away from God. So it's a pretty good time to decide what you are going to do when trouble arrives in your life. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale said that problems are a function of life. The bigger the problem you face, the more alive you are. Are you alive this morning? Yeah, yeah, we heard it. Yes, there. Well done. He says we should beg God for more problems. I don't know about whether I agree with you. I'm just quoting this. All right. He, he said we should beg God for more problems. God, don't you love me? Send me some problems so I can grow. I have never prayed that prayer. <laughs> all right, never prayed it. But the reality is, the insidious nature of our culture is to try and insulate us from problems and to deaden us to pain. Nearly every day you watch the news on TV, we see the beatings, we see the death, we see the dying, we see the struggles, and as a result of problems and pain seem to just be everyday occurrences, and they happen in our living rooms, and we're no longer shocked by what we see or what we hear. Our culture transforms soft-hearted people into hard-hearted people. Because many of us are exposed to so much pain and suffering, we become hardened to it. And, and it's a sort of like a, it's a defense mechanism in that we, we build layers on our heart to try and stop us, to try and protect us from the pain that we would be exposed to. And because many of us are exposed to pain and suffering, we become hardened to it, and we need to pray, God, keep my heart soft. And he promises to do that if we will ask him. Because we want to be able to feel and we want to be able to respond in situations and circumstances that God brings us across. We can't avoid problems and pain and suffering, but we can respond to it with a Christ-like compassion. I think as a young pastor, some of the more shocking experiences I had were my regular visit, visits to the cancer ward at Whangarei Hospital. And You walked into that place, and literally, there was a, there was, you could feel the fear of death in that place. And people would come in for their 12 month tests, and you could just see fear written on their face because because it was really, really difficult. And mourning and grief are most often associated with death. Death is something we can't avoid, it's inevitable, we don't often talk about it, but it's something all of us will face. I think I went up to Colin a few few months ago and said, Colin, you're going to die in a, in a decade's time, or within this decade, and it was an obvious thing to say. And he wasn't very encouraged by it. And he was going to slap me around the face. <laughs> but the reality is that every one of us are going to die. Uh, it's just a matter of, of when. And every one of us here over the next decade are going to experience pain and tragedy because our friends and our extended family will have situations coming to them and happening to them Uh, that are going to be painful. Uh, So how do we cope? How do we respond to this situation? Well, it's going to be determined by the depth of our relationship with Jesus. In in years of industrial research and problem solving, I often found that the key to solving problems was to ask the right question. Uh, Many people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? That's actually the wrong question to ask. Because in many cases, we just don't know why some things happen. The right question is, what happens to good people when bad things happen to them? I think growing up in a youth group in Hamilton AOG, I think one of the most difficult situations was when two of our youth drowned on the Raglan coast. We believe that one fell in and the other one jumped in to try and save them and they were washed out uh, to sea. Um, it was it was a horrific situation. And you wonder, okay, here were two Christian young people, families were Christians in the church and you think, what happened to those? What happened to those families as a result of that absolutely tragic, tragic loss of life. Well, within five years, one of the dads was heading up an organisation in Hamilton, placing children in foster care. I thought, fantastic. The other father, he became an Assemblies of God pastor. You see, they were able to get through the situation and find comfort in their time of need and use what they had gone through to help others. So we can turn tragedy into triumph. When tragedy strikes, we have hope. We know that God loves us and that He's a god of love. We know that if we call on His name, uh, he comes. We invite him into our lives, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and he does. And he brings hope, and our hope is in the name of the Lord. Our God is the God of hope. Uh, Many people have a philosophy to live by in the good times, but only a relationship with Jesus Christ gives you hope to survive the difficult times. I had a phone call from one of our people a few weeks ago wanting help with taking the funeral of an unbeliever with an unbelieving family. And I struggled because the most hopeless situations I have ever faced are the funerals of people who don't know the Lord. What do you say to them? We're gathered here today because Uncle Joe has just gone to hell. No. But how how can you bring hope when they don't believe in the God of hope? Hebrews 9 verse 27 says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse uh, 13 to 14 says brothers we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. When you know Jesus Christ you have hope. Death isn't the final frontier. Death is a door that we pass through into eternity. And for us Christians, into an eternity with God. Jesus conquered death and through him we have the promise of eternal life. People facing tragedy suddenly take a new look at their whole life. Their perspective changes. Some things that they thought were so precious don't seem to mean much anymore, some treasures they valued so highly don't seem as valuable. Their value systems changes, your heart changes, your mood changes, your mind changes, your life and your relationships change when you start to get your eyes on eternity and off the here and now. Don't wait for tragedy to decide what's really important in life. Decide today what is really worth living for because that could impact your eternal destiny. Without Jesus, there is no eternal hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope. And life is meaningless. But with Jesus, we can live life to the full knowing that we are here not by chance, but we are here by the creation of a loving God who's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that is just so, so, so encouraging. Through Jesus, we can live life to the max. Mourning and grief don't just result from death. Grief can come from failure. Grief can come from miscarriage or abortion. Grief over loss of a person through a broken relationship. Uh, through moving, through marriage breakup and divorce. I read an article just recently that stated that grief and hardship are worse for children experiencing their parents' separation than if one of the parents were to die. And that's the situation. We need to recognize that there are a whole lot of hurting people out there that desperately need to know where they can get comfort And they don't need our condemnation. We need to learn how to share one another's pain. Christian people should value their ability to feel another person's pain. To weep with another person's sorrow. To embrace another person's suffering. And not to be people who will look and walk on by. Grief can come through loss of possessions or loss of position even. Good friend of mine was a member of the business round table because he was the general manager of the largest company in New Zealand. When he was overseas on one of his many trips, the chairman of his board made accusations against him and called in the serious fraud squad. The accusations proved to be false. Uh, And my friend was completely exonerated in the situation. But he was absolutely broken. Absolutely broken. He wouldn't see people. He locked himself away. He'd given his life to Jesus Christ, although Jesus wasn't Lord of this man's life. What could I do? What could I say uh, when he spoke to me? I just listened. I just listened. I couldn't say, well, I know how you feel, because I'd never been in a situation like that. And I prayed for him. And he came through with completely different values, deciding to, leave, to live 100% for Jesus Christ. And his life was completely changed. In fact, today, his, um, his wife heads up healing rooms in New Zealand. And he is just an amazingly supportive person. But here was a man's man who was absolutely broken through accusation. We are not without hope because Jesus says that if tragedy strikes, we will be blessed because we'll be comforted. So how does God comfort us? What are the things? Well, he comforts us through his presence. Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3, says this. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. Why? Because he's with us. Uh, Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says he will never leave us or forsake us. And any of you who have gone through incredibly difficult times will know that in those times, God's presence seems to be that much stronger. One of the names of Jesus is the the lily of the valley, and it's a little white flower that's found only in the valleys between the mountains. And you need to be in a valley to see it and experience its fragrance. When we get in those valley situations, we need to know that God is the God of the valleys. That He's there with us. And we can draw upon His strength. And we can draw upon His comfort. Uh, I love the mountaintops. But between every mountaintop and the next mountaintop, there is a valley. And that's part of life. Wesley, on his deathbed, they say, raised his arm in triumph and proclaimed, God is with us. God is with us. He's for us. And it doesn't matter who is against us because if God's for us, we can triumph in Christ Jesus. The second thing that um, encourages us of God's comfort is the fact that he brings his peace. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace. And it's a peace that comes not through creating peaceful situations, but it's a peace that comes from within. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. When your trust is in God, you can have peace in any situation, in any circumstance. Philippians 4, verse 5 to 7. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, which means passes, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, you will get into situations that you can't figure out. There are situations where your mind does not compute. You won't understand those situations. But... The peace of God passes, supersedes our understanding and keeps our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then there's Romans 8, 28. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saved those who are crushed in spirit. Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, Who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, it doesn't matter what has happened to you. It doesn't matter whether it's by chance that something difficult has happened. It doesn't matter whether it's something that the enemy has brought against you because he wants to pull you down and he wants to destroy you. It doesn't actually matter whether. This tragedy is a result of your own actions. God says that He can work all things for good. Doesn't matter what is happening in your life, God can work it for good if you will put your trust in Him. If you will give it over to Him. If you'll give yourself over to Him, He can work it good. I think one of the most precious times I ever spent with my mother was also one of the worst times. I remember back to the times when mum would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and come and play tennis with me before school. I remember her taking me round all the sports events. I remember all the things she did for me, but that I remember her breaking a plate over my head <laughs> when I offered a cheap remark one Saturday morning I remember that <laughs> but the most precious time I had with my mother was the night that my father died and I can still picture her and I standing up in, by his bed at Mittermore Hospital, comforting each other, being there for each other. We shared each other's pain and we often talked about that night for years and years and years after. We often looked back and that was a real bringing together of our relationship. But it happened at one of the worst times in my life. It was the worst of times and it was the best of times. But God blesses us. And he blesses us through his promises. Psalm 30 verse 5, Weeping may last for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm one forty seven verse three: He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. Psalm thirty four eighteen: The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. There are people here that are still captive to events in the past, and you need to release them. Is that possible? Yes, it is. It was interesting that um, I was at a, a Church Unlimited campus pastors' meeting. And uh, we had David and Greta Peters, who are really, really good friends of me. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of fun together, David and I. Uh, he likes lollies. I like joining him in that potation. And so um, <clears throat> much to his wife's disappointment, I make sure that the larder is stocked with lollies when he comes to stay with us. And, and we, just, we just have a, um, a fantastic relationship. Well, uh, David was prophesying over all the campus pastors. And um, finally it was my turn I came, sat down in the seat And um, David said to me said, Don He said, with a big smile on his face I see a coffin And I thought, oh no That's not the most encouraging Prophetic word you've ever brought to me, David And anyway, after we'd all stopped laughing He said, Don It's time to bury the past It's time to let go and to move into all the things that God has for you over the next 10 years. And it was. It was a really encouraging prophetic word, and there was a lot of other things there, and uh, a lot of things that he was saying were things that God had already spoken to my own heart. But the reality is you can't take hold of the future unless you get go of what's happened in the past. And some of you have been through tragedies, life-changing tragedies that have been incredibly, incredibly difficult, but there's a point where you have to let go. And you've got to let go of that past so you can take hold of what God has for you in the future. So God comforts us through his presence, through his peace, through his promises. But as the musicians come, he also comforts us through his people. We are supposed to be a healing community. We are supposed to be the ones who will receive healing and then reach out and comfort others. I love Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 5. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. And this is what it says. It says, and this is the very first verse that Jesus preaches when he's in the temple at Nazareth. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this out. And then he says, hey, today this prophecy is fulfilled in my midst. And we are the ones that have that same anointing. We are the ones that Jesus has left on earth to carry the same anointing, the same heart that he had. And so he says this. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Uh, We're the ones who are to comfort all those who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the Display of a splendor, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So, who's the they? Who's the they that this prophetic master is speaking about? Who are the ones? They're going to be called oaks of righteousness. Who are the ones that are going to rebuild ancient ruins? Who are going to be the ones who are going to restore? Who are the ones that are going to renew ruined cities? The they. The they is the poor. The they is the brokenhearted. The they is the captives. The they is the prisoners. The they are those that are grieving. Those that are covered in ashes Those that are mourning, those that are in despair, they are the they. They are the ones that have received wholeness and healing and have received the Spirit of the Lord on them and have been sent out to bring comfort and restoration in the very situations that they have been in distress in. People, we are the they. We are the ones. We are the ones who, through Jesus Christ, have the capacity to heal and to be made whole and to get over the difficulties of life and then be sent out like an army to bring the power of God and the power of God's love and His acceptance and His forgiveness to a world who have no idea how to handle the problems that are happening to them. You may be hurting this morning. But you can receive comfort and His healing. You may be reassessing priorities. What's really important to you. But I want you to look and see the possibility that in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of your mourning, you can be blessed because of the comfort that comes through God's presence, through His peace, through His promises and through His people. Some of you right now are thinking, I want to be one of those they I, I, but I just don't know how probably one of the best pastoral training programs that I've ever come across in fact I was talking to someone yesterday I saying I reckon every young pastor should go through this course is the chaplaincy program that um, Pam is going to be running next year it teaches the they how to get alongside. It teaches us how to help. It teaches us what to do in situations and circumstances. And so if God is speaking to you about the possibility of being more involved in the community and wanting to help and wanting to be God's hands and arms extended, uh, you just put your name down at the info desk. And uh, Pam will contact you and tell you a little bit more about that training course that is going on next year. But every one of us will be hurt. Every one of us will experience tragedy. But every one of us can be healed and made whole and be part of the they that will be a healing community in our city. Amen.